take your Bible, go with me to Psalm chapter 5. Uh, as you get there, as you start thinking about um, Scripture, one of the fun things is as you think your way uh, through different passages of Scripture, um, I always think about the background, think about the history. I think about what did it take in order for David to write Psalm chapter 5? What were life's circumstances like for you and I now, to, for David's circumstances, for you and I now to come to a passage of Scripture and get a chance to read some of his words? What did it all look like for him? And I think it's important for us, as you walk around or you carry your, your Bible around, you, you remember or think your way through, there were circumstances that took place, not only for us to hold this and to have a Bible, people gave up their lives so you and I would have a Bible, but beyond that, what it took for David to go through what I call kind of a phrase, uh, this thing called life, the students kind of give me a hard time here once in a while because I'll use that phrase, but as you think about what it took in David's life to get these words, and now for you, all these years later, to come back and say, hey, I want to read some of these words. And so this morning, as you have the scripture in front of you, as you think about um, your life, I know that all of us have gathered from a lot of different places. You know, first hour I asked how many enjoyed spring break. Most of them had no idea that it was even spring break. You know, so it's just kind of funny, like it was spring break. I didn't know that that was anything different. And so some of us, as we gather, come off some of the best weeks of our life. Just enjoy it. Uh, I had a great time uh, on Wednesday night. One of my fun things was as two of the Bryan College kids came to my house, and I was assigned to go make sure we got them lunch for the next day. Well, it just so happened that Publix had ice cream, two for $6. Well, there was three of us, so we need to have at least three. I want them to pick, and so we got one extra. So, you know, we've got ice cream now, and so we've got extra ice cream. And I was informed that the ice cream will be leaving our house because we're eating too much of it. So if you want to come to Family Discipleship tonight, there might be Patterson ice cream there. Uh, for you to finish off what we haven't finished off this afternoon. And so as I think about ministry and I think about your life, there's a tendency for all of us to kind of want to be in the ice cream phase of life. Lord, just give me chocolate ice cream, moose cakes, and I really enjoy peanut butter cup inside my chocolate ice cream. And Lord, that's kind of where I want to live my life. I want to kind of stay over there. But see, I don't think that's where David was when you and I get Psalm chapter 5. I don't think David was enjoying ice cream in order for us to have some words to help navigate what we face. What your life is going to entail in six months or a year or five years from now. So you have your Bible. I want you to go with me to read the first. Um, let me give you this just so you, have, just so you can see this. Um, I think as you look at Psalm chapter 5, um, you see a couple things. You see David's prayer, David's enemy, David's heart, and you're going to get a chance to see David's enemy again. And you're going to get a chance to see David's joy. I realize what time we need to leave here, so I'm not going to go through all five of those things. But I want you to see three things. I want you to see David's prayer. I want you to see David's heart. And I want you to see David's joy. And so if you have your Bible, look at the first three verses. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sign. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. 
In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you. And I wait in expectation. I realize that when you think about David and you read this psalm, you see words on a piece of paper. I want you to see a couple specific words. I want you to see Lord. I want you to see as David is gathered and whatever the circumstances of life are, I, don't, I won't take a bullet for knowing exactly when the time frame is of David's life as you read this passage of Scripture. What I know is that there are enemies. And David is going to have to navigate his enemies in the phase of life that he's in, wherever he is. So he stops in the phase of Psalm chapter 5, in the very beginning, and he uses the word, O Lord. Is it significant? Is it just a word that you know, we can read on through and not really pay attention to? I don't think it is. I think it's a word that you need to highlight or think about in your own personal life. Because David, when he says, O Lord, he's saying to the one who is self-existent. He's saying to the one who is self-sufficient. I'm coming to that individual as I begin my time of communication. So whatever's going on in his life, he wants to stop and say, Lord, the self-sufficient God, I'm coming to you first. I don't know all that's going on in David's life. I know where we're going to pick it up. We pick it up in these words. His words are not just words that are going to ramble. His words are not going to just wax eloquent. So his neighbor says, wow, that guy knows a lot of big words. He's coming to the Lord, the Savior, his Messiah, saying, hey, by the way, I need you. Most of us, when we read Psalm chapter 5, we run down the page and we get to in the morning. And then we say to our spouse or to our friend, well, you need to get up early and read scripture. You need to get up early and pray. I'm not against any of those things. But when I think about David and his words specifically, we need to start with some reverence. We need to start with, Lord, it's you and I now. And as you think about the oh Lord part of it, he's going to ask the Lord to consider his words. The things that are going on in David's life that are consuming him. The things that are David's burdens. The things that are David's uh, issues or problems, or whatever your life situation might be. Whatever that looks like for you, I don't know. But I come this morning and see David saying, Lord, I'm coming to you with my sighs. I'm coming to you with my words. I'm coming to you with my issues. And he doesn't just stop it there. He says, listen to my cry for help. Do you sense any urgency there? Do you sense any burdens that are really big enough to cause some life issues? And he doesn't just say, okay, you know, oh Lord, or just say, well, you know, today I got problems at work, I got problems at my neighbors, I got problems here. Whatever's on his heart, he's going to lay it there with open and honest feeling and communication. As we read or we think about prayer, it's like we sit in our little monotone corner or at our table, and there's not a whole lot of emotion. There's not a whole lot of effort. There's not a whole lot of energy. But if we got up and said, hold on a second, I'm going to communicate with the one and only God over all the universe, our sense of passion might change. 
If we stopped and thought about, hold on a second, he gave me life today. If we thought about this morning as you, as you drove here, whatever the sun was going to look like when you got into this place and you started down the road was for you, would it sound any different as we rewind our alarm clock or we rewind our heart say, hold on a second, I want to communicate with you. Also, I think that's really interesting. He uses a couple other neat words. King, and he makes this really personal. It's his God. My God, I'm coming to you. And I realize that we live in a society where most of us know the word prayer, but most of us don't do it. We know about it. We talk about, oh, you know, we should have some time with God or we should, we should spend some time praying. But that would actually then mean to, you would have to admit you've got issues. That you're going to have to go somewhere outside of you and say, hold on, I need help. You have to set your brokenness aside. I love listening to uh, Tommy Brandt last night. His son was an incredible guitar player. Uh, just neat music, neat time together. People said yes to Jesus last night. It was kind of cool. People rededicated their life last night. It was really neat just to, to listen. But one thing that just, just stood out to me, he says, you know what, I'm broken. How many of you are going to go around and publicly admit that you're broken? How many of us are going to go around and publicly admit you got issues? But if we're not going to be willing to admit it publicly, are we going to go even stop in our quote-unquote prayer time and I believe, and I think, I, I think I'm stealing this from Daniel Henderson as I've been reading and listening, prayerlessness is independence. You're saying, God, I don't need you. Oh, God, I know about you, but I'm not going to come communicate with you. I'm not going to come and develop a relationship. I'm not going to come to you and say, okay, Lord, you are my king. You are my God. I need to have a meeting with you. This morning or this afternoon. And so this morning as you look at this passage of scripture. David doesn't just stop. You know with this whole. This whole morning um, concept. Let me just pop this back. I want you to look at um, verse 3. In the morning. O Lord you hear my voice. In the morning. I lay my request before you. And I wait in expectation. How many times have we waited in expectation? Sometimes we get to the point where we don't even ask anymore because we don't think he's going to do anything. Or we get discouraged and say, you know what, it's not really a big deal. Or Lord, you didn't do this for so-and-so, so so I'm just just discouraged anymore and I'm not going to lay my expectations out there. I'm not going to lay my really my true requests of my heart because I don't think you can do anything. And so this morning, I want to remind you of something, and take your Bible and go to Exodus chapter 15. As you think about laying your request out, you think about laying the desires of your heart and just putting it on the table, I want to remind you of the God that we're going to lay our request to, at least the God that I'm going to lay my request to. I don't know all of you, um, all of your hearts, but this is my heart. My heart is to lay my request at Jesus' feet. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song. I will sing to the Lord, 
for he's highly exalted. Why is he highly exalted? Why have they stopped now? And say, okay, God, we want to we sing to you. We want to stop and publicly make a song and stop and recognize that you are exalted, that you are worthy. Why are they doing it right now in Exodus 15? Why are they, you know why they're doing it? There's history behind that. Why they're doing it is because God brought them out of Egypt, and then he sent them out onto the wilderness, and they got out next to this waterway, and there was no way that they were going to get away, and they saw a cloud of dust coming. Oh, I know you know this story. It's an old Sunday school story. But what, you, what is fascinating to me is you would have thought that the nation of Israel would have been standing there watching the cloud of dust come and say, you know what, bring it on, Egypt. We already took care of you. Our God whooped you ten different ways. And by the last time I checked in history, we plundered you when we walked out. So come on, bring your horses. Bring your chariots. We're here because our God is here. That's not what took place. They had forgotten. So God just didn't in his disrespect or he didn't love me anymore. He said, you know what? I'm just going to push these people into the sea. I'm tired of these people. No, he said, hold on a second. Bring on the chariots. You bring on the horses because I want to show these people who I am. And that's what he did. Keep on reading. The horse and the rider. He was hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. See, they needed to go through another circumstance where they couldn't do anything about it. Where their lives were saying, you know what? We're dead. It's over. And God said, no, no, it's not over because I'm in charge. And I want to demonstrate my power to you for generations to come. Exodus 15 is for you to remind you when you lay your expectations at His feet. When you lay your request, you're talking to the warrior. You're talking to the God who moves mountains. You're talking to the God that when they brought the horses and chariots, He said, oh, let's just dunk them people. That's what He did. For them and for you. I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul's words to the church at Colossae. To a group of individuals that are living in a society that, that Christ wasn't supreme. So Paul writes some words to them so they would know that Christ would be supreme. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace 
through his blood shed on the cross. Church at Colossae, Christ is supreme. Bible Fellowship Church family, Christ is supreme. He holds all things together. He doesn't need you. He longs for you to communicate with Him so that you can stop and see the circumstances of your life and the things that are going on around you that He's in charge. He's in control. And He wants for you to come as as David did in Psalm chapter 5. He wants you to come to Him and, and communicate your words. But see, He doesn't just want to hear your words. Because anybody can talk nice. And anybody can put out the words. But he wants your heart. He wants to hear you say, Lord. He wants you to hear say, you are my king. He wants you to say, you are my Lord. That's what he wants. And so as you, as you think about what he's longing for, now look what happens in verses 4 through 6. You are not... You're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant can't stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. Look what David says. God doesn't take pleasure in evil. Wicked can't dwell with God. The arrogant, if you look at James chapter 4, what does James chapter 4 verse 6 say? God does what? He resists who? The proud. But he gives grace to who? The humble. So David's saying, hey God, you just need to wipe these people out. God, these people are wicked. God, they're bloodthirsty. God, they're my enemy. Take them out, God. God said, wait a minute. I mean, I'm not saying God said this to David. Stop the picture. Stop the sentence. Stop the phrase. Stop your thought process. Guess what? You wouldn't have Psalm 1 through 3 unless David had enemies. You wouldn't have Psalm chapter 1 through 3 unless David had issues. It wouldn't be there. And so God's going to allow you to watch this person walk through issues, happens to be with his enemies. Why? So you would know how to navigate life. So as you you think about the end of these, these six verses, I think about it from this perspective. With David's words, he called out to the one who was self-sufficient with his burdens and the concerns of his heart. He was willing to come to the one who could help. In the morning, David would come to his king and lay his request before him. David would then wait in expectation to see what his king would do. But God, I would prefer if you just wipe him out. God, I'd prefer if they would just all die. Look at the next two verses. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house in reverence. Will I bow down toward your holy temple? Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Look at David's heart. Oh, you get to see what he's saying, but I want you to look a little bit deeper. Look at the words that you have the word but. So he's going to stop this whole thing. But what? 
But you, Lord, because of your great, what? Mercy. God, I'm only here because of your mercy. God, I can only enter into your throne room because of your mercy. I don't deserve this, God. And I was thinking about, I didn't share this first hour, but I was thinking, I wonder when David really had a comprehension of God's mercy. Or if you read on a little bit farther, I will come into your house in reverence. So it was one thing that David says, you know what, God? I know about your mercy, but your mercy has led me to a thing called reverence. Your mercy has led me to awe. Your your mercy has led me to respect. And now think about that. When did that take place in David's life? When did he say, you know what, God, I need to be in reverence to you? Was it when, when, when he was back in, in um, 1 Samuel chapter 16 at his dad's house and the prophet shows up and he looks around and says, oh yeah, check out this son and this son and this one. This one surely is the king. And God gives him no to all of them. And the dad says, well, I got one left. But all I think he's worthy of doing is taking care of sheep. So I didn't even call him to the house. Call that one. And then when you're standing there, can you imagine your brothers are around you and your dad doesn't even call you out. And then the prophet's there and the prophet comes and puts oil on you. You're standing there, what the world? Is that when it began? Or was it began when he was in when he's in the cave and Saul was going to kill him? And he knew that all the right reasons he could have justified taking out the king, but he knew God had placed him there. No, you're the king. For whatever reason, deep down in his soul, he chose not to kill the king. Was it then? Was it when he killed the lion and the bear? Was it when he stood before Goliath and said, you know what? Listen, you warriors are a bunch of wusses. He's mocking our God. Let's go do something. And I don't want a sword. I just want a sling because he's talking against my God. Why don't you all see this? What's wrong with you? Was it when he cut off Goliath's head? Was it when he carried it back and said, hey, I couldn't have done this. But God, because of your mercy, I'm going to reverence you. Was it after his sin and he had mercy and God gave him another child? His name was Solomon. I, I don't know. All I know is I pick it up in a passage in Psalm chapter 5 with words that are fascinating to me. But none of those words would be on a piece of paper without circumstances. None of those, these words wouldn't be on a piece of paper without issues. They wouldn't be there. You have an individual saying, but you, because of your mercy, I'm here. In reverence, I will bow down. What's interesting, it doesn't just stop with his feelings. Look at verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. 
So it's not just words. It's not just feelings. He's saying, okay, you direct me. I'm not in charge. I want to walk in your righteousness. So whatever you, whatever you say is right, I'm, I'm going to walk there. And we all know David didn't figure this out perfectly. We all recognize David was a sinner. But see his heart. See who he was as a man. And then he'll go on to these next verses, 9 and 10. Back to his enemies again. Not a word from their mouths can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O Lord. Let them in their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them. For their many sins. For they've rebelled against you. God, take them out. Um, And you can see... These things, I mean, you see that it, it, it's untrue. Did we lose it? Oh, it's flashing. All right. Sorry. Thanks, Nancy. You can see that his enemy is untrustworthy. Their heart's full of destruction. God declares them guilty. Banish them for their many sins. For they've rebelled. But I want you to see how he ends this. Verse 10. I mean, verse 11. Got but again. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Refuge. Do you realize that refuge is a choice? Do you realize that refuge is a choice? Do you have to stop and say, hey, and I'm not talking about refuge where You're going to have the warm, bubbly feelings like I have when I eat chocolate moose tracks ice cream. And uh, when I go to Stewart's in in New York and I get a hand-packed pint of chocolate peanut butter cup ice cream, there's just something that feels good all through me. I can eat a bunch of that stuff. Okay? That's not not what we're talking about. Okay? That's not what we're saying when we're talking about refuge because I can't eat enough ice cream 24 hours a day to be happy 24 hours a day. I could probably eat it, but I'd be sick as a dog and big as a house. And be in a lot of trouble with my wife. So I won't do that. I'm talking about the refuge of your soul. I'm talking about you have a choice to make. And it has to deal with the cross. Has to deal with Jesus. Whatever the circumstances that you face. David is his enemies. It might be cancer for you one day. It might be loss of a spouse. It might be whatever. I could go on for hours talking about circumstances. But the circumstances aren't the issue. The issue is where will you go in the middle of your circumstances to find your refuge. And there's a lot of things that this world has to offer for to give you temporary refuge. There's only one thing that will provide, provide you soul refuge deep down and no matter what your circumstances. You might not be smiling. You might not be high-fiving each other. I'm sure as Chuck Wilson was going to the hospital on Thursday. He wasn't saying, you know what, I can't wait to have my valve replaced today. This is going to be the best thing ever. I can't wait for them to put this thing, put my lungs on this machine. And just so happens, just so you know, there have been times in Chuck's life, because of his lungs, if he just coughed, the mucus would stop his airways and they thought he was going to die. Now can you imagine going to Thursday morning 
And in the circumstances, you're making a choice to get on a table and say, God, you know what? Fix the heart valve. If I wake up, I wake up. But if I don't, I don't. So I'm sure there wasn't a big party going on in Chuck's room saying, hey, here it is. Here's the day. Let's see what happens. I'm sure there was emotion and tears as he looked at his daughters and his other friends that were there. But there was refuge in his soul. I promise you that. No matter if he woke up or didn't wake up. Why? Because Chuck had Jesus. Period. The end. Do you have him? So as you end your, your time together, you, what's your prayer like? Is it, Lord, the sufficient, self-sufficient one? Is he your king? Or are you too proud to even pray? Are you too proud to even stop and say, God, help me today? What's your heart? And I've never heard anybody do this before. And Tommy Brandt did this the other night. He said, I'm, I'm just going to play my guitar and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about Amazing Grace. Probably one of the most well-known hymns. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's pretty cool. You know, I love listening to him pick on the guitar. And he said, okay, I want you to think about the words. you got over that you were a wretch one day that you didn't have it all together and God said hey I want a relationship with you when you see a cross is there any emotion in your soul because without this you don't have nothing you're empty so really are you thankful for his mercy Not one of us, not one of us deserve to be sitting in this building today. Not one of us. Not one of us deserve God's grace. Not one of us. He said, hey, I want to give it to you. I want you to have hope. So I'll send my son to die for you. You take it for granted. Are you allowing him to direct? Does righteousness matter to you? Joy. And I'm not talking about the bubbly feeling, emotional joy. I'm just, do you have refuge today? Do you have confidence inside? When life doesn't make sense. So I was thinking of two things as I wrap this up. Part of my goals for you, or as I think about Sunday morning, is two things. One is the gospel. Holy Spirit, help me to make lemonade today out of the lemons of life. And then the other one. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to change me today. Always on the balances every Sunday morning in my heart is people coming to know Jesus as their Savior, salvation, and then... Somehow, some way, somebody would say, you know what? I want to grow one more step. I want to keep on keeping on. I don't want to quit. 
I don't want to throw in the towel. I want to keep praying with expectations. And not just the amazing Chuck Wilson stories. God, you gave me a parking spot today. God, I saw the sunrise. I was aggravated the other morning. My window was open and the birds started chirping. Thinking, really, I want to sleep longer. I want to roll over and say, Lord, thank you for the bird. You kept it alive tonight so I could hear it this morning. Now, if you have a rooster next door, I would just encourage you to shoot the rooster. But... (laughs) circumstances will never go away because he loves you too much the cross will always be here and you know what the cross is only for broken people will you come to it will you run to it will you cling on to it Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for making David's circumstances so difficult that we would have Psalm chapter 5. And thank you for molding and shaping David's heart So that these words, not just were on his heart or in his mind, but got on a piece of paper and you preserved it for all these years. For us today. So Father, may we model our lives after David. May we come to you as the only one that can help us. The self-sufficient Father. Will we come to you with our burdens and our concerns and our issues. And when we put them at your feet, when we step back with expectation of what you're going to do. Father, would our hearts be full and close to the concept of mercy and reverence. And Father, may we choose you to be our refuge when our lives are a wreck. The Holy Spirit, you, need to, you know what you need to do in each individual heart. Thank you for bringing us here. So now, Holy Spirit, move. May we have a hunger to hear your voice. And may you be powerful enough for not only for us to hear your voice, but our lifestyle would demonstrate what we hear. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's no better day than today. No better day to accept the free gift of salvation than today. Let Him be your God, your King, your Savior, your Messiah. By accepting His Son's death on the cross for your sin. Father, thank you for coming and meeting with us. Now send us out individuals that love you, long to serve you, long to grow. In your name I pray. Amen.